So we're going to take a look at how we can go about looking at health and science information without being blinded by our biases. We all have our biases. Biases can be good. Biases can be bad. It all depends upon how we allow those biases to impact how we go about thinking about the information that's being presented to us. And so when we attempt to equate facts with opinions, we're making a fallacy in our analysis. We're making a fallacy in our arguments. A lot of times when it comes to health and to science information, we tend to do this as a means to dismiss people, to dismiss people, to dismiss arguments that we don't like to hear. We don't want to hear what other people have to say. We don't like to hear things that might be challenging our own preconceived notions, something that is new or novel to us. Whenever we have these new novel of approaches to understanding the world around us, we have to kind of take a step back. We have to look at what's going on around us. Because what we don't want to do is we don't allow our perceptions to be guided by logical fallacies. And there are several types of logical fallacies that can come into play that are going to impact how we look at health and science information. Things like cherry picking, or what is sometimes referred to as the bullseye or Texas sharpshooter logical fallacy. In either one of these logical fallacies, what we're doing is we're taking selected evidence and using that selected evidence to make a support argument for what we want to be true. We're reevaluating the correctness of our argument, not based off of the generality of the information that's out there, but based off of very, very select few reports of information. Whenever we do this, what we end up doing is we end up lacking the ability to have a general view of the world around us. And when we have an inability to see the world in generalities, we're unable to see how we fit within the normality of the world. Sometimes we may want to have a change in what we view as the endpoint of the evidence, what is referred to as moving the goalpost effect. This is where we're constantly changing how much evidence is needed or how much evidence needs to be produced in order to provide enough support to allow for correctness to be seen. We see this all the time with a lot of arguments where we provide overwhelming evidence and overwhelming support that this hypothesis is true. And this hypothesis is true. And this hypothesis is true. And every time we show that the hypothesis is true, we always hear back, well, we need something else. Oh, we need something else, or we need something else. And what this does is this negates the counter arguments you don't want to hear. Other fallacies that we have to be careful about following are things like the bandwagon effect. In the bandwagon effect, what we're doing is we're allowing popular ideas or popular opinion to allow us to form what is correct, what is true where what's popular may not be actually correct. And this is where we have to worry about things where it's being advertised as the most popular thing that's out there. And just because it's the most popular thing that's out there doesn't mean that it's the true thing that's out there or it's the correct thing that's out there. And we see this a lot with advertisements as it relates to dietary supplements. We see this a lot of times when we uh, look at uh, dietary methodologies in terms of what is popular or what is the most best-selling of the ideas that's out there. 
And just because you can sell something doesn't necessarily mean it's the best thing for someone to be doing or something to be following. The other thing we have to worry about is what's referred to as the fallacy of ignorance. And in the fallacy of ignorance, what we're doing is basically discrediting anything that we don't already know about. And this is where just because I'm not aware of something doesn't necessarily mean that it's automatically wrong. Being able to learn new and interesting information, new and interesting things is the hallmark of being a good scientist and being a good health uh, practitioner and being a well-rounded intellectual individual, someone that actually wants to learn and find new things cannot fall into the fallacy of ignorance. Along with this, we have to worry about false dichotomies and false dilemmas, a this or that style argument. This is where what we're trying to do is we end up oversimplifying the concept into something that is either this or is that without understanding that we have things that fall along a continuum. And most things when it relates to health and to physiology and to science in general is a highly complex continuum of options and availabilities. And so this is where we have to be very careful about falling into an oversimplification. And we as educators have problems because we want to teach you stuff without getting into the minutiae, into the very small, finite details of what's going on, giving you a big global picture of health or big global picture of human physiology. And what we tend to do is we tend to try to simplify stuff without giving you the context of the complexity. Because a lot of students will get overwhelmed when we start looking at the complexity. But just because we don't give you the minutiae, the fine details within the complexity, doesn't mean that what we're talking about or we're teaching is excessively simple, is a A or a B, is a true or a false. There's a lot of times where we talk about things within physiology and with, within things in health where we have this yes, but no answer, or it depends. And so when we look at a lot of stuff as relates to health and to science, we always have to remember that most of the time, the response that we are looking at in terms of an answer or in terms of a comparison, well, it depends. The other thing we have to worry about are the reliance on the antidotes. And this is where we all fall into kind of a, a fallacy. A lot of times when we're making uh, arguments or making debates or having conversations about health and science where we use our personal stories as evidence for correctness of the point of view on the concept from the topic that we're dealing with. It worked for me, so it must work for everybody. Or we take something that we observe and we automatically hold it to be true without setting up a means to empirically evaluate the trueness or the correctness of the statement or of the observation. And this is where there's a lot of news stories out there about and the TV show, The Simpsons, basically showing the future. Well, all you're doing is looking at antidotes. You're looking at very select viewpoints of stories that may be true, but may not be true. Where what we're doing is we're looking at stuff that can reflect stuff going on in the real world, but it may not actually be reflecting stuff going on in the real world because we're not empirically looking at, we're not objectively looking at What's going on, we are subjectively looking at what's going on when we rely on antidotes. Other things we have to worry about falling into are circular arguments. These are arguments of begging the question. 
where we're going to use the premise of the point of view as the indication for the correctness of the point of view, where the reason for making the argument becomes the conclusion for the argument. And when we get into this circular arguments, one of the things that we have to be very careful of is over-reliance upon single author point of views. The other thing we have to worry about is circling back on two concepts that is the basis for making the observation, but is not the observation itself. Another thing that we tend to fall into problems with as relates to making sure we're not being blinded by our biases is an overabundance of appealing to authority. This is where the person happens to be an expert on a topic. And because they're an expert on the topic, they're the only one that has the correct viewpoint without understanding that they may come from looking at the topic from one angle. And if they're only looking at it from one angle, they're missing other angles that might also provide an explanation for what's going on. And this is where the single viewpoint and the single viewpoint of the expert can become problematic when it comes to understanding the totality of all the things going on within health and within science. Then we have to worry about equivocations. And equivocations is where we're going to take something that is complex and we're going to confuse people by providing different interpretations and different meanings for words so as to confuse the individuals that we're having a conversation with. What this does is this develops a false narrative. It, it develops a, a narrative that is not correct in the viewpoint in terms of attempting to explain what's going on or a viewpoint in, attempt, in attempting to analyze the, the logical process that can come about to allow for a full understanding of the processes that we're trying to develop an understanding about. Then we have straw man and straw man effects. And this is where we're going to develop a false narrative by developing an alternative viewpoint that is dishonest to the argument that we're having. We're putting a fake person out into the cornfield in an attempt to scare the crows away. And what we're doing with, with the straw man is that we're, we're making a false analogy here. We're, we're making a viewpoint that does not allow us to have a conversation about the topic at hand because we now have to have a conversation about a secondary topic that is not an honest, directed conversation to the topic that we happen to have, where we're pulling in other stories and other bits of evidence that don't necessarily lie with the evidence that we're trying to explain through our logical processes. The next two here is all about attacking the individual as opposed to attacking the position or the argument that they're, that they're having. The appeal to hypocrisy is where we're going to have a reactive criticism to the person rather than a criticism to the argument being made by the person. This is the wait, you did this to type argument without looking at the context by which actions were taking place or understanding the continuum upon which actions can lie. The other one is the ad hominem. Ad hominem is you are attacking the person. You are challenging 
what the person is without challenging what the argument's being made. And this is where we get into the, in the political realms, you can't be correct because you happen to be liberal. You can't be correct because you happen to be conservative. We can't have this argument because of this. We can't have an argument because of that. As it relates to the personal characteristics of the individual, as opposed to the actual argument that is taking place. Ad hominems can also come into play when we start looking at intrinsic biases towards individuals. One of the classic ones that is being kind of pushed against right now in terms of a logical fallacy as it relates to healthcare is the idea that people who are overweight, people who are over fat, people who are obese are that way because of laziness, that they are overweight, over fat, obese because they are lazy. And since they're lazy, they can't do anything to get themselves out of being overweight, over fat, obese. And that is an ad hominem attack on the individual. They're not actually looking at what is the underlying root cause for what is leading to the obesity issue, the over fatness issue, or the overweight issue for that individual. A lot of the ad hominem uh, tropes that you might also see have can look at some of the racist actions that can take place within the distinct populations based off of distinct racial stereotypes that can come about. So stereotyping and stereotype biases can't come about through ad hominem style attacks. Other ones that you have to be worried about are things like non sequiturs. Non sequiturs are where we draw a conclusion that doesn't follow logically the steps that came before. We're not connecting two things together in the matter by which they're occurring. We're placing something in the sequence of events that doesn't exist within the sequence of events. Hasty generalizations kind of fall in with a lot of the antidotes and the fallacy of relies on antidotes. This is where I'm drawing a conclusion based off of insufficient evidence or biased evidence that leads me to rush to the conclusion of generality. And I do this before I have all of the relevant facts that are available to me. Post hoc ergo prepara hoc. This is one that we see all the time when it comes to health and fitness. Post hoc ergo prepara hoc is because it happened last, it must be the cause. This is where I'm making a false cause and effect linkage without understanding that just because two things are correlated together, just because there's association between things, doesn't necessarily mean that the cause of A is coming from B. Just because B was the last thing I did doesn't mean that what came about from all of the things I'm doing is that last thing. It could be a build to effect. It could be the sum of all incidents. It could be that I am missing a step within my inferences, within my inductive reasoning between all of the steps that happen to be there. When I do a post hoc error, 
what I tend to do is I tend to lump sum a whole bunch of biases and a whole bunch of logical fallacies together within the post hoc. The red herring is something that we don't see so much within health and science discussions. We do see it a lot within public health discussions and within uh, public policy discussions. And this is typically a diversionary tactic. That is an attempt to, to avoid key issues being offered by an opposing argument that you are doing in an attempt to not have to address that argument in itself. We can see the red herrings within some of the hot button topics that might come in health and within science. But like I said, most of these tend to be within public opinion style discussions as relates to some of the public health issues, as opposed to health and science in general. The problem with the logical fallacies is the logical fallacies compound on themselves and allow us to have biases come out. One of the most prominent biases that we see, and it's unfortunate that we see it with scientists, but we see it a lot with the general population, and this is confirmation bias. And confirmation bias is where I only pay attention to all of the knowledge that's out there that's agreeing with my opinion. And I'm only going to look at the information that's agreeing with my opinion so as to support the hypothesis that I am correct and refute the hypothesis that I'm wrong. The other biases that we have to worry about here are things like anchoring biases. Anchoring biases is where I'm going to rely on my personal perspective, my antidotes, my single data point view to draw conclusions by anchoring all of my arguments to that selective bit of information. And I'm going to disregard new information because I'm anchored to what I already know. I'm unwilling to learn new things in an anchoring biased perspective. Along with confirmation bias and anchoring bias, we have survivorship bias. Now, a lot of times we look at survivorship bias, we look at it in terms of a safety issue. One of the classic survivorship bias uh, perspectives that we have is coming from a lot of the um, airplane stories that we get from World War II, where they look at what planes were able to return to base with bullet holes in them to find out what is the uh, most vulnerable area and what is the least vulnerable area of the airplanes. But we can also look at this in terms of survivorship as it relates to medicine and to supplements and to healthcare and to behavioral modifications. And this is where I am going to look at and simply draw conclusions off of the fact that we have some reports of benefit that are far less frequent than reports of no benefit. Or I'm going to focus on very few reports of no benefit and ignore all of the reports of benefit. And what this does is this, by ignoring evidence within the survivorship, 
what I'm doing is I'm focusing just on what data allowed me to know that people were able to survive, as opposed to looking at all of the evidence that's out there as to what is true and what is false, what is valid, what is invalid, what is reliable, what is not reliable in terms of the evidence that we have to view. Along with confirmation bias, survivorship bias, anchoring bias, we also have to worry about things like groupthink. And this is where, because I become so selective in where I'm getting my information from, I put myself into a silo. And by putting myself into a silo, all I'm surrounded by are viewpoints that agree with me. And since I'm surrounded by nothing but viewpoints that agree with me, I get nothing that challenges my opinion or makes me have to rethink whether my opinion is right or wrong. When we communicate with only those that agree with us, what ends up happening is that we take all of these logical fallacies that limit the ability to have good inductive and deductive reasoning to allow for proper inferences to be utilized within my critical thinking patterns. When I start having confirmation bias and anchoring bias and survivorship bias, what it does is it limits what evidence I'm willing to look at in terms of supporting or not supporting my opinions and my hypotheses, my explanations for why something is working or how the world works. And what this does is this basically makes us all yes men or yes women or yes persons to the idea that we are constantly being echoed on, constantly saying this is correct, this is correct, this is correct, this is correct. And when we cannot get out of that silo, we cannot understand the world at large. And if we cannot understand the world at large, we cannot understand normal responses that we might see within health and within science. Along with all of those, we have one other effect, one other bias that can come into play. And this has multiple names to it. The more common name is the observer bias or the performer bias. We hear about this a lot in reports as being a placebo effect. But what this really is in terms of a bias is the Hawthorne effect. And this is where I have a bias from my observations or I have a bias from my performance where I'm going to attribute any observations that I see or any change of performance that I might observe to the intervention at hand without understanding that there's a whole host of factors that can come into play that might influence the phenomenon. The placebo effect is the statistical analysis effect of whether or not an, interve an intervention works or not. That is, given that everybody understands that they might be receiving some sort of treatment, is there a statistical difference between the active treatment group and the inactive treatment group. What is driving that effect, what is driving that statistical, statistical effect is the physiology and the psychology response that is the Hawthorne effect, which simply means, which is the simple explanation or the simplest explanation for how behaviors change when observations are perceived to be occurring. 
if I'm going to take this supplement to gain muscle mass and to lose fat, I'm going to change other things within what I'm doing in my lifestyle. But I'm going to attribute all of the changes, all of the changes and modifications in my morphology and my body composition, my body shape to that supplement with, without taking into account all of the other changes that might have occurred because I am psychologically changing out of the implicit desire to make sure that this supplement is doing something for me. This can get even worse. It can get even worse when we start to overestimate our own level of expertise and knowledge. This comes into play, particularly when we start having groups of individuals with similar interests or similar disinterests. And there is a psychological effect coming into play here known as the Dunning-Kerrig effect. And the Dunning-Kerrig effect is where I overestimate my ability to be correct when I have very limited amounts of expertise and I have a greater understanding of the correctness when I have greater amounts of expertise. The problem is that most of us don't understand how much expertise we happen to have. And this is where most of us are going to fit into on most topics as it relates to health and to science below the midpoint in terms of level of expertise. We may have expertise in one area of a topic, but just because I have expertise in one area of a topic doesn't mean I'm an expert on all areas of the topic. And this is where we have to be very careful in terms of what I'm able to recommend based off of what my area of expertise happens to be. So how can we get past my biases? How can I make sure that I'm not going to fall prey to the logical fallacies? How can I make sure that I'm not going to fall prey to the biases that I have? First off, admit I have my biases. Becoming aware of the biases allows me to critically think more and it limits the blindness that can't come about. Challenge my own viewpoints before I get challenged by somebody else. Be open to other people's points of view. Be open to stories that challenge my ideas. Get out of my silo. By admitting that I have biases, by admitting that I have limited expertise, what I'm able to do is I'm able to ensure a better understanding of what's going on. Be able to argue both sides. Don't just be able to argue what you want to be true. Listen to other people's points of view. Be able to argue another person's point of view. If you are automatically shutting out other points of view, you are explicitly moving into a biased action. How else can we do this? Start thinking like a scientist. Or even better, start thinking like a good scientist. Not all scientists are good scientists. But all good scientists are going to follow some of these next steps.
What we have to remember is that we're not setting out to prove something. If a scientist tells you that we've proven something, then they have a biased approach to what's going on. They're testing how, what, when, where, and why something's occurring. And they're trying to explain the results based off of current knowledge about how the human body functions. We're going to accept that understanding of truth must be supported and or refuted based off of the evidence and our current understanding. Conclusions and recommendations must change based off of the change in our knowledge base. As we start learning more things, we start changing what the recommendations happen to be. And this is where people will start having issues, put quotes around that, with science and with health science, where we change recommendations. And if we change recommendations, we must be quote unquote flip-flopping or quote unquote wishy-washy. We're not flip-flopping, we're not wishy-washy, we're simply changing the recommendations because we have new evidence to show better recommendations to follow. We're going to determine cause and effect relationships based off of logical patterns of analysis. The logical patterns of analysis are deductive reasoning. This is where I'm going to use what others have said in an attempt to explain why I might see something. Deductive reasoning allows me to infer a hypothesis a best explanation of why I saw the phenomenon before conducting an experiment is a statement that is testable. It's not a guess. And then inductive reasoning. This is where I'm going to use my empirically collected data and the general rules of scientific analysis, statistical analysis, the laws and the theories of how the human body works, how science works, to explain how my observations are explained by the hypothesis and by the theories so that I can expand our understanding of what is correct, what is true, what can we recommend within the world of health and within the world of science. How can we do this? Well, we're gonna follow a set of rules in an attempt to establish cause and effect relationships. All explanations must be based off of careful observations that come through testing a hypothesis that explains what we're questioning. Any hypothesis has the possibility to be proven or disproven. Conclusions cannot simply be my opinion. Observations must be explained based off of principles of physiology, sensed and perceived by everyone. The best conclusion is the simplest conclusion that makes the least number of logical steps or takes the least number of logical steps. That is where we get Occam's razor coming into play. And Occam's razor is not the simplest answer is the correct answer. Occam's razor is the answer that takes the least number of logical steps is most likely the correct answer. This is where we get the best fit for all of the observations. When we start talking about scientific consensus, it's not where we are taking votes on what's true or not true. It's what does all of the evidence point to being true or not true without making biased observations, biased analysis, 
or utilizing logical fallacies in our explanations. Well, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for more topics coming up. Please remember to like and subscribe to stay up to date with any of the new publications that are coming out.